You're listening to the Industry Alchemist podcast. The definition of alchemy is a seemingly magical process of transformation or creation. This podcast exists to hear the stories of entrepreneurs, business owners, and leaders doing just that in their industry. We hear about the journey of the brave souls carving a new path, moving their industry and our lives forward in a seemingly magical way. I'm your host, Matt Brower, co-founder and managing broker of Column Commercial Partners, helping companies save money on their real estate. I'm also founder and CEO of OfficeChief.com, an online resource for businesses moving their office or updating their space. Hey guys, this episode's guest is someone I've gotten to know over the last few years. She started her career in the payroll and HR industry as an administrative assistant. She quickly moved into sales and became a national top sales rep for the Fortune 1000 company she was with. Her entrepreneurial journey started in 2011 when she founded Butterfly Creative, now called Sales BQ. Through that, she's become a sales leader on a national level, helping other companies drive sales through what she calls the behavioral quotient, which happens to be the BQ in Sales BQ. Uh, I'm looking forward to hearing more about that, so thank you for being here, Mary Grothy. Hey, good morning. Thanks. So uh, I just learned an interesting fact right before we started hitting record that I think is pretty cool. Uh, so your husband is named David. Yes. What's your son's name? Beckham. Nice. <laughs> now, it's, is it you that's uh, the big fan of David Beckham or your husband? Yeah, I'm the big fan of David Beckham. And it didn't happen specifically that way or on purpose. I had a hundred names that I wanted to name our son. And my husband is very, very picky. And I love that about him because on a daily basis, it's a reassurance that he loves me so much. I'm like, he chose me. This is seriously the pickiest man ever. (laughs) And then I think, wow, I am so lucky. Anyway, side note. So I have a list of a hundred names knowing how picky he is. And I thought, okay, most women have a great idea of what they want to name their son or daughter. And I thought, I'm just going to let this all float it out there. hundred names. He said no to every single one of them. And I thought, you have to be kidding me. I've got to go back to the drawing board. But I love this last name as a first name. Yeah. And I went to bed thinking about every last name that I like. Yeah. And I really do like David Beckham. I woke up in the morning. I, I felt like that was the name. And I said, what do you think about Beckham? And he said, yes, that's it. So you came up with it. I did. That's incredible. And Beckham is a very cool first name. Thank you. <laughs> and I'm looking at a picture. He's three now. Uh, super cute. Super bright blue eyes. <laughs> Blonde hair, blue eyes. Doesn't That's look right. anything like me. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, so I want to learn more about kind of, uh, obviously you have a lot of energy and passion for what you do is very clear. So I want to hear more about like how you went from uh, you know, having this job and driving sales for somebody else to, okay, now I'm going to switch and be an entrepreneur and help other companies do this. Um, want to learn more about that. So uh, why don't we start by, you want to tell us a little bit more about your climb through the, what was the company uh, you were with, by the way? I worked for Paychex. Paychex, okay. Yeah, yeah small little company. payroll company. Yeah, tiny. Yeah. <laughs> so you, uh, you climbed the ranks to be a top sales uh, rep for them. That's a very big company. It's impressive. Yeah, I started there when I was 22. I didn't have a college degree. I hadn't worked in a professional environment, but I went in as an admin assistant, 13 bucks an hour. 
I supported a sales team, a mid-market sales team for two years, and I got to report to the number one sales manager in the country. Wow. He knew a thing or two about sales, and it was the coolest two years because he broke down everything for me, infrastructure, recruiting top talent, keeping them engaged, performing at a high level. I'm sure everyone knows salespeople are a whole different breed, and they're very difficult to manage and to coach, and they're just different. But I watched him navigate that, and he was a true mentor to them, and he was a phenomenal leader. But I had two years learning it. Then I got that fateful day where I got to go into sales, and I became the number one rep in 30 days, and I maintained what? that title while I was there. So my first year, my quota was 150000 I sold 758000 which was more than number two and three combined. Jesus. And after that, they flew me out to corporate and said, what the heck did you just do? how do we replicate this? Like, yeah. we need more. And I got a really cool opportunity in my second full year in sales. They cut my territory in half. They doubled my quota. And they asked me to train reps and managers across the country. And of course, I said yes. <laughs> it, didn't, it sounded like a great challenge. But I, that's when I fell in love with actually grooming other people up to be phenomenal in a sales role. I was very young at the time. Didn't have a lot of established framework for it. I wasn't really formally trained in sales. I listened to Brian Tracy's Psychology of Selling 11 cassette tape disc set, right, that I loved. Uh -huh. And I also took some Dale Carnegie classes. But other than that, didn't have very formalized sales training. I've fallen into sales. I fell into sales. It's kind of a natural thing for me. And I love it. But crushed my quota that year. I sold 850000 And it was then at that point I started to have that entrepreneur, entrepreneurial bug like you talked about. And I had proven it out. I kind of get bored easily. I'm like, all right, two and a half years in sales. I've absolutely crushed it. I've got to train reps and managers. I've got to even sit with our VP of sales. It was a $300 million division at the time of a $2.1 billion company. And the VP said, how do we redo the infrastructure systems, processes, like really help me write the playbook. What are you doing? Not just on how many meetings are you running a week? What's all the in-between stuff? What's the actual methodology that you're doing? So sales process are like steps and stages. It's the how. Right. I'm sorry, it's the what. And the methodology is the how. It's like the meat in between all of that. There yeah. could be uh, 500 things that you do in between step one and step two, and there are nuances and special ways to do that. That's what they wanted me for, is really building out that playbook and I loved it, and that's when I realized I really love this thing called sales, and I think that I have a knack for it. I think that other people could benefit from working with me. So 2011, I left. It sucked. Paychecks was my family. Those yeah. people, they were all I knew professionally. It was so hard to leave. I took an equity position in one of my clients, went on as VP of sales and marketing, and they did back office services. They were really small. 125000 in annual revenue, small, okay. very yeah. startup. And by building out their playbook and their framework for sales and marketing, recruiting a team, we quadrupled the company's revenue in seven months. And that's when I said, I'm doing this for a living. I founded Butterfly Creative. And over the next three years, I helped 36 companies that were all sub 500000 in revenue put together the plans that they needed to accelerate. And it looked different. Some small companies need help, not just in sales and marketing, but operationally. Did that for three years and was able to help every single one of them grew revenue, which is awesome. Wow. Mm -hmm. Is there uh, any common theme to the types of clients that this works really well for? Any industries that, you know, what you bring to the table doesn't work that well for? I know there's different, you know, selling widgets versus having a service company like an accounting firm. How does that mm -hmm. differ? 
Back uh, between 2011 and 2014, when I was operating under the Butterfly Creative Roof, so this is pre-sales BQ days, they were such small companies that the main focus that we had was product market fit and really ensuring that what they were selling was viable and that whoever their target market was would actually buy it. So that was the biggest challenge that most of these small companies faced. So for us, our work was more focused on redefining who their buyer was, why their buyer would buy it, how it stacked up against the competition, and building beautiful go-to-market strategies. We did a lot of relaunches for companies, and we had to tweak things behind the scenes to make it marketable, to make it something that people actually wanted to buy. But under the Butterfly Creative Roof, that was our main focus. Those are very small companies. I worked way more on the entrepreneur side and right. startups. But that phased out over time because it's crazy. Those small companies don't have a lot of money, and they want to pay you on Hope, Equity, and King right. Super's gift cards, <laughs> which doesn't really <laughs> pay the bills. Hey, everybody needs groceries. <laughs> they do. They do. Have, has somebody offered that? Oh, oh yeah. It's the running joke. It's nice. the running joke for sure. Oh, that's great. Yeah, but I went back to Paychecks in 2014. I met my now husband, the David of, of oh. the David Beckham. Okay. And I was a bit of a starving entrepreneur. I was so young back then, and I didn't know how to price my services. I didn't know how to not burn the candle at both ends. Mm -hmm. I didn't know how to say no. And because of those three things, I wasn't as successful as an entrepreneur under Butterfly Creative as I could have been. I ended up selling my house and cashing in my 401k to pay for what I was doing in my company. I, yeah. I started to get into youth entrepreneurship education in addition to the business consulting. I had a TV show on Fox Saturday mornings called Million Dollar Butterflies, a radio show on KLZ 560. I was doing a lot in the media for youth and teen entrepreneurship education. Mm. It was very distracting and it was very expensive. And so I ended up getting to the point of not having any assets and being about 20000 in debt, I met my now husband and I said, I think it's time I go back to work for a couple of years yeah. and build it back up and then go back out as an entrepreneur and be a lot smarter about it the second time around. Well, that's what I did. I went back to Paychecks 2014 to 2017, crushed it, yeah. two top 25 finishes, and then the last year I was there, I finished number seven in the country. Wow. Sold millions in my three years there, ended up uh, getting pregnant, having a baby in the last year and still finished number seven in the country, only working nine months out of a year. Um, but I loved it. And, you know, during that time, it was very interesting because it just affirmed for me that, like, I love sales. I love selling. And not a lot of people say that, and it's very strange. Right. In fact, most people hate sales, and it's like a bad word. Mm -hmm. But I love it, and I knew that that's when Sales BQ needed to be born. Wow. So you rebooted in 17, and so now you're, the reboot's two years old, and you have a team of nine or ten, I think. We have nine employees and four contractors. So I've got a, wow. a team of 13 right now. Incredible. Wow. Well, congrats on the, uh, well, first of all, crushing it for paychecks. <laughs> I'm sure they were sad to see you go again. Yes. And, yeah. And it seems like, uh, you know, just having gotten to know you over the last three or so years, um, it seems like you now have a process that you're, you know, you, being an entrepreneur, you're, the goal is to own a process or a system that runs autonomously from you, and I've, what I see you doing is traveling all over the country giving talks on you know, sales leadership and stuff like that. So is that um, kind of what you're, what's, what's next, what's in the next couple of years for you, moving more in that direction, or? 
Yeah, our company has shifted a lot. So I'm sure a lot of entrepreneurs can relate to this. The first 18 months of SalesBQ, seven days a week, 100-hour work weeks, I, I poured everything into it. Everybody got paid before me. Thankfully, we've been profitable since the beginning. So we've had a little bit at least to pay the owner, which is really nice because not everyone has that luxury. Right. But the first 18 months were insane. For me, my goal I wanted to get it down. I wanted an engine. I wanted an engine that was profitable, it was successful, and by successful, I don't mean about our wallets. I mean our clients are growing revenue, and that's what I cared about. In Butterfly Creative Days, they're super small companies. Yeah. You can impact a small company way faster than you can impact a 10, 20, 50 million dollar company. A sales BQ, we work with much larger companies than I used to. And that means it's a bigger responsibility. You have more people in the mix. We take on sales teams. We take over as that fractional VP of sales. We step in whether their current VP of sales was let go or non-performing or needs help, or maybe they don't have one. Yeah. So many of our clients have a small sales team that report direct to the CEO and like, get these people, a leader, like get them off of my plate. But when we come in, I needed to turn that into an engine. And it's crazy because when you have human dynamics and you have a service-based business, it's hard to turn that into what yes. a SaaS company might be able to create from a profitability standpoint, looking at their pro forma and projections. And of course, the valuation of the company, it's very different in a service company. So we ran into that challenge, but that was my task. How do I get this in a running engine so that in 18 months, I can make a decision on what my role with is with the company because I don't want to be doing all the work. Right. But 18 months in, I finally had the opportunity to start looking around and saying, what does Mary's role look like as we go into our third year? So fortunately, we're here. We're going to start our third year in January. And I'm psyched. I get to take on all of sales and marketing for the company. I won't be doing client delivery anymore at all. And I will be increasing what I'm doing across the country. So since inception of SalesBQ, the biggest funnel uh, adder, I guess, if you will, or filler for us has always been keynotes, speaking engagements, and LinkedIn. Yeah. And now I just get to do more of that and travel and get to speak in front of large groups. And, and Is that I love what you it. love doing? Yeah. Matt, people <laughs> pay me to talk? That's amazing. <laughs> well, I have to say, you're pretty good at it. I remember, uh, so we're in uh, this monthly group called Emerging Companies Group. Um, so it's, a you know, what, 20 or so business leaders in the community get together. Well, we uh, had an event recently at a, um, where was that, Blanchard Family Wines in the Dairy Block. Amazing place. Go check it out if you haven't. Um, and Mary, you uh, just rocked the introductions of all these sponsors and every, you got, I don't know how many emails did you get the next day saying, why, yeah. why are you not giving TED Talks and throwing huge events? And <laughs> Apparently, I have a future as an MC in addition yes. to a keynoter. So, hey, that's cool. Exactly. So, yeah, you're, you're a natural at it. So, talk a little more about, um, I'm, I'm really curious about like this, okay, you, you know, tried this entrepreneurial thing for a few years felt like you didn't quite get it right and then did the reboot like what what types of things did you learn or did you change I think there's like some juice in there that we can we the listeners can kind of get from that what's what's the big high level items that are working really well that you did differently man talk about reboot and yes lessons learned first and foremost my heart wasn't in the right place the first time around it was all about me it was about my success it was about me, me, me in the spotlight, me being the entrepreneur, me being the successful one. Mm. 
And unfortunately, that's not how it should be in business. And this reboot this time around, I shifted my focus. I have a pro forma. We set company goals, but we don't worship those goals. I don't care if we hit them or not, as long as we hit our clients' revenue growth goals, then I'm happy. And so the shift in mindset, number one, I wasn't in it for the right reasons. It was all about me, and I think that's very selfish. I think that it's too immediate gratification, and it doesn't help the long term of the person that um, I was going to work for and serving. Now, this boot, this reboot, that's first and foremost, is what do I have to do to make our clients' lives better because we're in it? And that's our mission statement, that our clients' lives are better because we're in it. Number two is very well-defining success metrics within those engagements. So we're very clear on what success means to them and how we can help them grow revenue. Because they're all in different stages. They all have different needs. But they come first, no matter what, and the growth. My people, I mean, I guess they tie for first. My people also has to come, have to come first and my team and nurturing that. So biggest lessons learned, number one, is my heart has to be in the right place. It's about the people that we're serving. It's not about me. Number two was I also had to make sure that my own product market fit was great. So when I started SalesBQ, I went out to three brave CEOs who are friends of mine and they all have really great successful companies. And I said, hey, if you were going to pay me a few thousand dollars a month as a part-time VP of sales to step in and help you run your sales team, so none of them had VPs, they all had a sales team reporting to them, mm -hmm. what would I need to do in order for you to find it successful and worth spending the money? And they helped me build my company. And it was very easy because knowing if we do what our clients want us to be doing and we do what the market wants us to do, it's amazing yeah. how easily it will sell. And we have stayed very agile. We have shifted and adjusted and tweaked and changed and modified our service offering probably every month. It kind of drives people crazy here, but our clients always win. And that's what matters. I will never, I say this, you know, and I just have to stay true to this and remember my words, but I never want to be the business owner that cares more about the products and services that we sell than the people who buy them. Mm, yeah. And a lot of business owners get stuck in that. They have this tunnel vision of that they want people to buy it, but there's a disconnect between what they're selling and what people actually want to buy. So I feel like for this time around, that has been a game changer for us, is staying super agile and iterating, but ensuring that we're very mindful of profitability and process so that it can be scalable as we continue to grow. But those would be two of the biggest areas. Got it. Wow, that's uh, very good lessons. And you, uh, it's very selfless. Like you talked about this mentor that you were, I guess, were you the assistant of the sales leader for paychecks? I was. So you learned a lot from him, probably. Uh, him, right? Yes. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, and then you had these three CEO um, mentors as well that really taught you how to be an entrepreneur. So those are the, some of the things that you implemented. Wow, that's cool. Um, and obviously you're thriving. So what's, um, what are you, the, in terms of goals and uh, what your team looks like and what you guys are up to in the next three, five years, what does that look like? Yeah, we want to continue to have the coolest product offering. I say product, but we're really a service company. And I think that is a really vague goal, but I think it's very clear, is I want to be who our CEOs want us to be. I 
see three to five years out, like just in the last couple of months, we've launched a whole new line of business. We now offer sales ops as a service. Sales operations is very focused on sales enablement, mostly focused on the tech stack is what it's referred to. So your CRM, email automation tools, ways of um, engaging with prospects. It could be also slide decks and documentation. It could be proposal tools and demo tools and whatnot, but any technology that the salesperson uses. And we've even started getting into marketing automation, have a couple of fractional CMOs that have joined our staff. And so the power behind what we're able to do for our clients is out of this world. So a goal for us, we're at 13 people right now, and we 3 x revenue year over year. So we did three, just, uh, we'll close out through just over 3x of what we did in 2018. Mm -hmm. And then we're planning on 2xing next year as our company goal in revenue. With the 2x, we'll probably only go up another one to two in headcount. We're already staffed for that growth, if you will. Yeah. And so we may go up mm -hmm. one to two. I'm thinking max, unless something crazy happens within that. But for me, I love this recent addition of the sales ops. It's as if we've had it all along. And same with the marketing. Our clients have needed it since day one. It was a blind spot for me. And then I realized, holy smokes, why, why are we holding back? They need it. We have the case for it. We built partnerships with all these technology companies. We're partners of them now, like resellers, and we've become certified in all these technologies. So there's just so much more that we're doing. So my goal within the next two, three, four, five years is to be the sales enablement firm that it's a household name. It's almost like what you haven't heard of sales BQ, like, man, what they do to empower sales teams is out of this world. They cover the gamut, everything that touches revenue is what I want to be known for. And so you're providing also the tools, like the marketing tools for companies, for those salespeople to utilize to get done what they need to get done. Yeah, okay. I never wanted to be a marketing agency. I never wanted to sell marketing services standalone. Right. That's not who we are. But every one of our clients needed help with marketing. Right. And what was happening was I was referring out all this revenue to our partners, and then there were two cooks in the kitchen. And that didn't work because we did all this research and work in building out this incredible sales plan. And then to have some third party start from scratch and all this work, because there's such an overlap between sales and marketing. So what we decided is let's pull a couple of these fractional CMOs in house and let's have them align with our strategy. And then out of the gate, we focus on top of funnel and marketing automation and everything that's going to happen with the engagement of the customer from step one, very, 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 very top of funnel before it's even qualified to be in the funnel yet. So wow. outer funnel, but we've started there and then it's all purposely built for sales enablement. So it's solely marketing for sales enablement. Our office space, it's two parts. We have a huge warehouse that we took over. It was one of those that when I got the space, I'm like, wow, the side with the offices looks really nice. And then I've got this junky old warehouse. Yeah. And so we ended up cleaning that sucker up. We built this gorgeous kitchenette in there. We painted the walls. We put up some really great wall quotes and everything else. And patio light stringed across the top and we made it a sales training center and we're very excited about continuing to offer classes out of there what's crazy matt is we have more clients outside the state than in i had this grand vision I'm like i've got this giant space and we're going to hold these amazing sales training classes and max out the space well crazy because we have more sales bq clients outside the state than in yeah. and even the clients that we have here in the state they would prefer to log in virtually so we did we set it up with AV, we live stream our training, we have all the attendees come in on webcam, and then we have the 
camera on us and multiple camera views. And so when people do come in person, they can interact as well and, and be on the speakerphone. But it's cool and it's interactive and we still offer those. But it is interesting, just side note, to go towards sell what people want. It's crazy. I have this huge space and they don't even want to come in person, whether they live in the state or not. Right. But this just speaks to who we cater to and who we market to this day and age and how we evolve. So we'll continue at looking at having more tech delivery in our types of trainings and people can digest that content on their own time and still have the accountability with the SalesBQ coach and whatnot, things that I'm passionate about so they actually learn the content. Right. But we teach classes every single week and those are available on our website. People anywhere can sign up for one of our classes. So what is your website? Where can people find that? SalesBQ.com. SalesBQ.com. So you're not necessarily, uh, you know, filling the room up because people are more interested in uh, doing those online, but you're still use, using the uh, facility, which is oh, yeah. amazing. It's beautiful how you guys Thank built you. that out. Yeah. Well, and we rent out the space. Like, we're hosting modern sales pros here. We have a couple of big groups that come in periodically and use the space. So at least it's getting used from that, that standpoint. Ah. Yeah, we fill the classes. It's just most of them are virtual seats. Right. Cool. That's great. So, and what's, uh, other than being a mother, uh, let's just kind of shift to personal now. What's, uh, what keeps you busy outside of work? The outside of work is a tough statement because I do work nights and weekends still. I try to limit it as much as I can. And every minute of available time goes to my church, my baby, and my husband. And that's it. And I'm a very happy person. That's and my great. heart is overflowing. And this is a pretty remarkable year. Uh, it hit me like crazy a few weeks ago. I just had these moments driving home in the afternoons. And my, I could just feel like my heart is so full. I would just sit there driving home and I can just feel so much joy inside of me. Like it just causes me to well up. Like I can't believe this is my life. I can't believe that our company is here in just two years that we're at this point, I can't believe that I have the opportunity and show up to this life every day. My my baby is healthy. He's beautiful. He's three. I know for some people that's not a baby anymore, <laughs> but he's my baby. And I love it. And I love that time. And my husband has been the greatest support. It's, it's not typical, right, for women CEOs. We're the minority. And especially for startup CEOs. And that's very different because you know what it takes to start up a company. It's all in. Yeah. And when you're a young mom, that's even more of a challenge. But to have the support system that I have and a family that just cheers me along the way, it's just been the greatest blessing I could ask for. Yeah, and it's very clear how you just emulate joy. And like, this is who you are. You're happy and you have so much energy and passion for what you do. It's just really cool to be around, uh, which is probably a very, you know, big reason why you're being so successful. Everyone wants to Wants some of that, you know? Who doesn't want some of that? <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> yeah. So, well, that's great. Um, let's shift to the rapid fire portion of this before we, we wrap up. So, uh, just so we can get to know you a little bit more on a personal level, uh, who are your heroes or hero? Uh, Jesus. Jesus? Nice. End okay. of list. Go. Yeah, perfect. Next. Perfect. Uh, what books are you, what book are you reading right now or any book that uh, you would consider your favorite? Um, the Bible. <laughs> next, next question. I was going to guess that. <laughs> it's a good book. I mean, if That's you haven't great. picked it up lately, it's got some great knowledge bombs and truth bombs in there. <laughs> Seems to work for my life. <laughs> what is your favorite technology that you use? My phone. Phone. What? Anything specific? Any favorite apps or anything? 
I'm definitely getting into HubSpot. We're starting to run many aspects of our company off of it, which is crazy. So we just became a, not even just a certified partner, but we're an agency partner, which is the oh. highest level, I think, that you can go. Yeah. And so since we're doing this for our clients now, I'm like, well, we should probably do it for ourselves. And holy smokes, every little piece that I build out and I keep building up out over the last few weeks, I'm like, I can run so much of my company on this thing. And I've been just living in it. I love it. That's great. And HubSpot CRM. Uh, we actually use that, but I don't really get on it on my phone very often. I'll have to check that out. Oh, man. If you sync it with your email yeah. and you get the read receipts, and especially like if you're in any, with, with the role that you're in, if you want to make sure pe- you get notified when people read an email or a contract or something opens right. or they want, it's so cool. It's That's so cool. That's great. That's great. Uh, if you can remember, uh, Annie, what's your favorite quote? Attitudes are contagious. Is yours worth catching? Ooh. That's a great way to wrap this. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> well, thank you. This is a very fun conversation. It's always a pleasure to be around you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for taking the time. 